Take it away. listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. Based on a Scottish public vote in 2009, he was chosen to be the greatest Scot of all time and is widely regarded as the National Poet of Scotland. The celebration of his birth on January 25, 1759, has become an institution of Scottish life, a night to celebrate the life and works of the National Bard. Burns' suppers can range from an informal gathering of friends to a huge formal dinner full of pomp and circumstance. However, with the institution of social distancing and avoidance of indoor celebrations, we now need to focus on celebrating virtually. Here to talk about celebrating the life of Robert Burns in the traditional Burns supper, I am honored to introduce our guests, Steve and Mary Ferguson. Welcome to the show, folks. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Marshall. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. For listeners who might not be familiar with Burn Supper, what exactly is a Burn Supper? Well, a Burn Supper, basically, it's a celebration of Scottish culture in general and of Robert Burns and his contribution to that in particular. They tend to follow a specific format, and it's also a wicked good party. We live up here in New Hampshire. This is typically how we might celebrate a Burns night up here in the Shire. You need three things to do a Burns supper. First of all, you need friends. And second of all, you need food. And the third thing you need is drink. All of those are equally important, I think, but friends probably at the top of the list. And you want to tell your friends uh, to bring their party piece. And by party piece, we mean they might like to recite a Burns poem or uh, sing a song, the lyrics of which were attributed by Robbie Burns, tell a joke or a story about Robert Burns, something to do with that in the spirit of the evening. And they need to bring food and drink. And food and drink, as, as, as Mary says. The, the main course of the meal is typically haggis, which is kind of like a large Scottish sausage. We can talk a little bit more about that later. As far as drinks go, you don't want to get dehydrated. Bring plenty of fluids, and you never go wrong with bringing a nice single malt scotch. You spoke about having friends come over and reciting poetry and drinking pints and having food, but is there any music involved? Oh, yeah, there's always music, either Burns songs or bits of music that might be inspired by Robert Burns. What we generally tell our folks is to come in, wear your kilts, wear your tartans, Bring your Scottish flags, be ready for some music, some dancing, any kind of food that goes thick when it comes off the spoon, like oatmeal or something like that. If it looks like that, potatoes, neeps, bash neeps, cockaliki soup, all of those things, bring them all. Then you move the furniture back to the walls and you cue in the bagpiper. That's what I was curious about. Do you have any bagpipe music that we could hear to get a flavor of this? Well, actually, I have a friend of mine, Kevin Myers, who generally will come over and play the bagpipes. As you mentioned, with social distancing and all, that's not possible. But I do happen to have my pocket bagpipes right here. A pocket bagpipe? 
Yep, this is a pocket bagpipe. It's a small instrument. It's small enough to fit in your pocket if you don't happen to play or happen to have a set of bagpipes. I always thought um, that was a pipe. <laughs> nope, no, it's, well, it's played by a piper, and it's, uh, it's the Scottish bagpipe, I'll, um, and the first thing you do to start your supper well, off... Well, wait a minute, we're just listening to this, can you describe what it looks like? It looks very much like what most folks would call a kazoo. All in right. fact, it is a kazoo. Oh, all right. <laughs> but it's a kazoo that was purchased in Scotland, which means it's a, it's a pocket bag. Okay, good. Can you give us an illustration of what that sounds like? Sure. If you're ready to start, people are assembled around the table, and they're ready to bring in the haggis with great pomp and circumstance. You might hear something like this on the bagpipes, played as a march to march in the haggis. Let me get this pipe started up here. <laughs> And so now the the haggis is being marched in. Yes, we've now marched in the haggis. Do you have some words that are said before you partake in the haggis, or what happens next? Well, what happens next is typically someone will be asked to to come up to the podium or to uh, to the table where the haggis will be set out before everybody. And they'll read, traditionally they'll read a short grace called the Selkirk Grace. And this was a grace that was attributed to Robert Burns, although there were similar graces that were around in the century before he was born, known as the Galloway Grace. But this is typical of what Robert Burns sometimes did. He took existing poems or existing songs, and he wrote his own verses to them and added them to it. And in this way, he was able to preserve for us a lot of the tunes that might have been lost if he hadn't written lyrics that became a song or uh, some of the poetry that might have been lost if he hadn't updated it and added his own verses to it. And it's nice and short and sweet, because you don't want to uh, let that haggis get cold. Would you be able to recite it for us? I will. Okay. Here's how it goes. Some hay meat and canna eat, and some wad eat but lack it. But we hay meat and we can eat. So tay the Lord be thank it. What do you call that language that he's using? Burns generally wrote in a Scottish, what they call a lowland dialect. And it was typical of the speech, the, one, the Scots who spoke English at that time, there were still many Scots who spoke Gaelic, especially to the north and, and the western islands. But for those who spoke the English language, that was their dialect. We've had the piping in of the haggis, and... Now we've had the grace. What comes next? Well, next there would be a speaker, and generally the person who brings in the haggis following the bagpiper would hold this uh, haggis in his hand, set it down. After the Selkirk grace, he would read a famous Burns poem called The Address to the Haggis. Usually here, in uh, again, in the Shire, we don't happen to make haggis myself. I stick with what I know. I make a meatloaf. What would an authentic haggis be, and how would you make that? You get the stomach from a sheep, and then you take all the bits that are left over after you uh, get the, the meat out of it. These would be kidneys, organs, lungs, all that kind of stuff. You sure you have the stomach for this now? And uh, you put them all together, you chop them all up, 
you put a bunch of onions and what else, Mary, goes in goes into a hat? Oatmeal. Oatmeal. There'd be some oatmeal in it. Caddies. Caddies, things like that. You sew it all back up together in the stomach, and then you boil the stomach in water. And after it's good and boiled, you bring it out, and that's the haggis. So now we're about to partake in that, but first we have to have an address to the haggis. So you're actually giving a speech to this plate? Yes, this is a very famous poem that was written by Robert Burns about the haggis. Uh, What I can do is I'll read the first stanza and the last just to give you a flavor of what this sounds like. It's always best to get somebody with a good Scottish brogue because it just puts you in the mood for haggis, and that takes some doing. <laughs> not everyone not everyone loves a haggis, but if, if anything is going to get you in the mood to have a haggis, it would be this poem called The Address to a Haggis, and I'll do my best Scottish accent on this. Fair fay, ya honest, sonsy face, great chieftain o' the pudding race, Aboon them all, ye tack your place. Paint tripe or therm. Weel are ye worthy of a grace as langs my arm. Ye powers what mock mankind your care, and dish out them your bill of fare. Odd Scotland wants nay skinkin' ware that drops and luggies. But if ye wish her grateful prayer, gie her a haggis. Gee her a haggis. Gee her a haggis. Gee Scotland a haggis. So now we've had the piping in of the haggis. We've had the grace and the address to the haggis. Can we start eating yet? Oh, yeah. Now it's time to tuck in. Plate up, tuck in, take your food back and, uh, and get going on it. And while people are having dinner, there'll be a series of speakers who will get up and they'll deliver certain parts. This is all part of the format of a Burns supper. And the first speaker that will be asked to come up is someone who will do what they call a toast to the immortal memory. And this is to honor the contributions of Robert Burns to Scotland and indeed to the whole world. They might read his poetry, discuss his life, talk about how his poems are still relevant and still move us even to this day. It's an honor to be able to be the person to to stand up and do that. It's nothing that's been written down ahead of time. Generally, the speaker will come up with his own address, although he may paraphrase poetry and things of that nature. How does someone get to be picked for this honorary position? Well, it might be someone who volunteers for it. If it's a very formal gathering, there'd be certain persons that would be asked to do this. We tended to move it around at our house. We'd have different people get up and do the do the different various parts of the of the speaker's roles year to year, so everybody got a chance to participate. I want to welcome Jim O'Rourke. Jim, I believe that you celebrate Robbie Burns' birthday this time of year with your group. Yes, we do. Yeah, always fun. What is the name of your group? We call ourselves Doc's Posse because Mark Hatton, the local Ridgewood uh, psychologist, has inspired our group, and we uh, so we meet every year. We call ourselves the, the Posse, and we all meet to uh, look at Bobby's poetry and his his life, and find some joy in it every year. So, and we also also we've all learned to like a haggis, which is a considerable feat. And I understand that you would like to contribute to our virtual celebration. I would. I'd like to contribute a little reflection on Bobby's life and his lifestyle. Bobby has a, a reputation, maybe a bad reputation today, as a 
18th century Lothario or Rouet, a Casanova, a guy who was careless in his behavior toward women, but history continually unfolds itself to careful, dispassionate, honest research, and my research and by the way, a complete bibliography is available upon request. My research has been thorough and professional. I compare Bobby to someone who's a model of modern feminism, and that's Gloria Steinem. I think everybody would agree that's a, a pretty high bar to meet, but Bobby meets it. I can go to their writings and compare them. But Gloria, for example, has written, A liberated woman is one who has sex before marriage and a job after. And Robbie wrote, Beneath the moon's unclouded light, I held a rod to Annie. With small persuasion, she agreed to see me through the barley. Well, all right. Take a look at that. There's no record of the job Annie took after Robbie saw her through the metaphorical barley, but the important scholarly point here is the subject that is Annie's consent. That is and, a wonderful contribution to our virtual reflection here. Well, there's more if you want it. Sure. Okay, Gloria also wrote, Childbirth is more admirable than conquest. Well, that would seem to be uh, uh, dismissive of children and, and how they're begotten. But Robbie wrote at the birth of his daughter, sired without the benefit of marriage, quote, Welcome, my bunny sweet daughter. Though you came here a wee on for. Yet by my faith, you're not unwrought for. That I shall swear. Well, but Robbie took time and effort to put her into his will, even though he was not of her marriage. Robbie's acknowledgement of the child and his oath are surely consonant with Gloria's priorities. Right? I really like the comparison between the two. Yeah, take a look at this one. Gloria also wrote, Writing is the only thing that when I do it, I don't feel I should be doing something else. Well, Robbie, he certainly would have said the same. The volume and the variety of his work shows that. I, I'd like to think of it, this as a toast to Bobby Burns, who in the glare of modern feminist enlightenment stands still a model to all men who would enjoy the full variety of women like Annie and Mary and Anna and Nellie and Peggy and Nancy, and uh, there are more, but you get the idea. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I, uh, I put my tongue out of my cheek a little bit and say that the judgment of Bobby as a, care man, a man careless with women is totally wrong, totally false, and good, careful research proves it. So thanks for listening to that. That was very, very good and shed some light on things that we never thought about before. Well, got to read some more Bobby Burns, that's all. That certainly was a statement about women. Do you have any response to that? Well, I think that the proper response would be a round of applause and everybody have a wee dram. That was a, a great toast to Robert Burns. Certainly would fit in the category of a toast to the immortal memory. I think it's an updated look at the poet, and it kind of captures the spirit of a Burns night. So I, I would say, well said, sir. But that would be the, the first speaker that we would have, would be the toast to the immortal memory. Would the uh, women in the supper have anything to say about this? Well, they will, but they have to wait their turn, because before they're invited to speak, another gentleman in the party would be asked to stand up and do an address to the lasses. What is an address to the lasses? Well, originally this was thought to be, soon after his death, 
in, uh, in uh, 1795, I believe it was, they started having these Burns parties in his honor, in his memory, and they would always get up and address the girls in the kitchen. And it was basically to thank them, and there may have been men in there too, but to thank them for preparing all the food and such. But over time, this has grown into a more lighthearted, humorous look at all of the women in attendance. As you know, Robbie was quite the ladies' man, and there's no lack of suitable poems or stories and songs to which he wrote to a, a number of different lasses. Again, up here in the Shire, we, we had a lot of fun having different people prepare addresses, and it's not, again, this is something that's not written down that you read that Burns is has written, this would be something that's original each year when the speaker gets up to say it. And would you have an example of one? Well, I do. I have an example here that was that was actually written, oh, back in the 90s, I think, at one of our dance parties. I wrote it by myself and got up and gave it. And I'd be happy to read it for you now, if you like. Uh, certainly. All right. Well, this is an address to the lasses. Last night as I lay on my bed, this address still unwritten, I nodded dozing, perchance I dreamt, and with this thought was smitten. What if when God creation made, one morning got up late, and looking down on paradise, saw Adam with no mate? And after pondering on this with careful consideration, he decided to amend the fault through proper delegation. He then called Adam to his side, saying, Stop thou what you're doing. I'm running late, and I need your help. Describe the perfect woman. Well, first Adam's eyes began to shine. His heart began to throb. He lost no time. He jumped right in and started in on the job. Her feet, said he, be lily white, the soft tread of a cat. Her legs as sleek as a gazelle and not one ounce of fat. Her body lovely, lithe, and fierce, and like a tiger's supple with peacock feathers on her tail for Adam there to ruffle. Her neck as graceful as a swan upon the water fair, and breast as soft as goosey down. No, wait, make that a pair. Then Adam, he began to blush. This feeling was quite new. His mind had risen to the task and other things too. Come on, come on, the Lord, he cried. We've got to cut this short. Let's finish up, have some lunch, and then you'll have your sport. So God then drew legs and feet and tail and put them all in place. She's missing something, saith the Lord, said Adam then, a face. A face as lovely as the moon, in splendor, ever-changing. Now full and bright, now hiding dark, and so engaging, with eyes that sparkle as the stars and voice like birds do sing and hair as golden as the sun, or dark as raven's wing. So God, he noted every fact, he said he'd be not idle, for Adam's passion had so grown it scarcely could be bridled. He got the plans and all the notes, and he kept the figures tidy. With any luck and no interrupts, he'd have her done by Friday. So Adam, he, with heavy heart, did wend his way back home, and do what men have done ever since. He wrote to her a poem. For love, it lights the poet's heart and has since time began and stirs the fire in the blood that's in the hearts of man. 
And of all the men that ever lived the poet's tale to tell, the finest master of them all was one called Robbie Barnes. For Robbie was a roving blade, but you know what they say. And I know, quote, the best laid men, they do gang after glay. And so he did, but not before he'd written money a line of life and love, of wine and song, and love of womankind. For Robert was a lover bold, you'd never seen the like. And all of Scotland hay his name, if he'd but had a bike. And if he were alive today, there's no telling just how far his bairns would spread across the world, if he'd but had a car. And so I think of Robert Burns and Adam in his garden, and all the women that I would know, like Cher or Dolly Parton. Now, if Robbie had but seen her once, I know he'd not be trusted. If she were a farmer like himself, she too would be flat-busted. But I digress. I mean to say, of all the poets ever who loved and wrote of womankind, no man has done it better. And so when God at last was done and woman was created... He made her true in each detail, as Adam himself had stated. And then, oh, the wonder of the lasses. And now we are about to learn why God himself made womankind. So stated here by Burns, and he wrote, Oh, what the power, the gifty us to mock ourselves, here's how you'd see us. Now, at that point, your, your listeners out there can't see this beautiful picture of the perfect woman by Adam, but imagine she's got the neck of a swan and a body like a tiger and peacock feathers on her tail and feet like a cat and eyes like stars and all of that. Well, when I dreamt that, I was quite taken, quite shaken, I should say. So when I was awoke, I was quite shaken. And with this lass, I was not taken. And looking over to my wife, I thought, how better off this life? So men, sing praises to your lasses, and do not fail to fill your glasses. A toast to women, each handmade. Let's all get merry, drunk, and laid. <laughs> there you go. That, that, that was excellent. I, I think after that, we're going to have to take a, a musical interlude. I just want the listeners to know that in, in addition to writing poetry, you're also a talented musician. In fact, we opened up our show with a track from your album, Kippa Bell. I'd like you to introduce it for us for this musical interlude, please. Thank you, Marshall. We're going to listen to a track on the album Kippa Bell called The Scottish Cowboy. And this was based on a trip to the Isle of Skye that my wife and I took many years ago. It reminded me the terrain hiking around up there didn't look a lot like Wyoming. Very arid and sparse. So I wrote this song in the genre of the Western Scottish cowboy tradition, examples of which are quite rare. So rare, in fact, that I had to write this one myself. I wanted to include some friends of ours who are loyal Burns attendees at, at our parties for many years. So this track here features my bagpiper friend Kevin Myers on the Illin Pipes, Sandy LaFleur playing the dulcimer and the clip-clops, a whole cast of our friends who are singing the chorus on this with us. This was all recorded at my friend Richard Chisholm's studio, Jarmany Hill Studio in uh, Sharon, New Hampshire. And you can find this track and a bunch of other stuff 
that I've done at our website, which is www.coyoteblue.com. Coyote Blue is spelled C-O-Y-O-T-E-B-L-E-U-X. Coyote Blue. Let's take a listen to Scottish Cowboy. I want to ride across them highlands From Glencoe to old Ben Lord's Though it could be detrimental To be riding regimental You might tend to get a little saddle sore But I'll wear my tartan so proudly Eating me haggis and drink me tea Oh, and gaily I will whistle As I plod on through that thistle Out where the skies, they're cloudy all the day Where the skies, they are cloudy all day I wanna be a Scottish cowboy Wanna hurt them Riding over the heather in all kinds of weather Just singing them good old Scottish blues Yolay. I'll be riding up high in me saddle All the lassies' hearts, they're gonna will Oh, oh they're Caledonian cowboys In my leather chaps and kills that sun sets over Ben Nevis Tay the pub will be a while Well, we'll be taking turns Toasting Robbie Burns It's time we record Willie Wah I'll be murdering pints of Guinness Chase them down with a single mouth Oh, my wife's been lately thinking You're doing too much drinking But I swear to her it's really not my fault And this is why I say, honey, I'm trying to be a Scottish cowboy Wanna hurt them feeling good Riding over the heather in all kinds of weather Just singing them good old Scottish blue I'll be riding up high in me saddle All the lassies' hearts, they're gonna will Oh, they're Caledonian cowboys In my leather chaps and kills Take it away!
They should be stolen By some outlaws Rough and tough Well I jump into my saddle And I'll ride off in the battle Chasing them I'm a pony named McDuff Hey, I'm McDuff When I rounded up all of them rustlers And at last the day is won All the town folk will demand Who was that kilted man? As I ride away into the setting sun Here's what they'll say They'll say, there goes that Scottish cowboy Wants to hurt them feeling good Riding over the heather in all kinds of weather Just singing, them good Scottish blues He'll be riding a pine in his saddle All the lassies hearts, they're gonna will That was Scottish Cowboy. Who was telling you that you're doing too much drinking on that track? <laughs> well, that, that would have been my, uh, that was a chorus. Uh, my wife uh, was certainly involved in that. I think Sandy, Sandy, uh, Sandy LaFleur uh, you know, doubled that. But generally the women. And uh, we were talking about the women earlier and how at some point they should have a chance to address the men. Mary is going to read, also a very humorous, and it's meant to be humorous, an example of the ladies' turn to address the men. This particular version was written in, back in 1995, I believe, by Mary and some good friends of ours, Ann Goodwin and Kathleen Calmer and Lois Lyman. And they all got up together at one of our burn suppers and replied to the men in this manner. So here's Mary reading the reply to the address to the lassies. And I think this poem speaks for itself, because obviously we were not happy with what Stephen said every year after listening to it for many years. We finally came up with a reply. Each year we sit the table round and listen to this story. The words of Stephen's poem sing of the perfect woman's glory. And mute we've sat without reply, without a fit rebuttal, as couplets dripped from his sweet lips, engaging but not subtle. But now at last we've found the time to dwell on man's perfection. So many were their attributes, twas hard to make selection. Now, raise your glasses and have a dram to fortify your spirits. It's time for the men to step aside, to close their mouths and hear it. When Eve appeared, she shook her tail, looked at the Lord and spoke. So, where's my perfect mate, she fumed, and who's this scrawny bloke? If I be the perfect woman... 
then I must have the perfect man. So listen, Lord, and take good notes as I outline my plan. I was thinking more of David, of Michelangelo fame, and something, too, of Romeo to keep my heart aflame. And pray, don't leave out Mr. Clean, whose brush is always handy. Someone to make my bathroom shine. Now, wouldn't that be handy? Feet toasty warm with well-trimmed nails and not one hint of smelly. Equip his legs with thighs of steel that lead to a nice firm belly. And oh, a marble bun to cup. No, two is more teasing. To see them move beneath jeans or kilt, there's not I'd find more pleasing. To rest my head, a manly chest that's broad, but not too hairy. Well-muscled arms to hold me tight and clean the lavatory. His mouth shall be most kissable and his words to be so adoring. A sonorous voice to speak our praise, but Lord, leave out the snoring. His eyes, a window to his soul like pools of deepest truth that speak their love as fervently in old age as in youth. And while we speak of love, my Lord, what of those earthly joys? Let his manner be unhurried as his talents he employs. His members shall be ready, springing forth that will to play. But let it know its place, O Lord, and where it shall be pointed, so that the toilet bowl be filled and the floor not anointed. Now, I've great respect for Robbie Burns' poetry, insightful, but other aspects of his life I find are less delightful. For though he honored womankind as jewels and as treasures, his passions they did gang aglay, he far and wide found pleasures. With every maid he chanced to find, he'd frolic in the heather, or in the woods, or in a barn, depending on the weather. But, oh, Lord, don't think I want my mate to be an upright parson. Combine Liam Nels and a touch of Gary Larson. In short, good Lord, let's have daring do and ambiance and laughter, for life should never be a bore, living happily ever after. Now that's a tall order, quoteth the Lord, but I'll see what I can do, at least a week, if you insist that he clean the potty too. On that, dear Lord, I do stand firm, and what I've said I've meant. I'll make a compromise here and there, but on that I won't relent. For if I'm to be the perfect lass, I can't be always toiling with brush and sponge down on my knees, my soft hands spoiling. Thus spake sweet Eve from heart and loin, her redesign for man. And so speak we, your gentle lasses, telling of her stand. For as we look about us now at the present company, we see variations and examples of those self-same qualities. Although they crow and they strut about like any farmyard cock, 
flaunting their machismo, we know it's just a crock. Because we appreciate their gallantry, intelligence, and splendor, we'll overlook the budding paunch and the occasional all-night bender. And just as we have gazelle-like legs without an ounce of fat, so too have they a bushy head of hair beneath their cap. So here's a toast to Robbie Burns, and ah, the men, God bless them. We're glad we finally had the chance to stand up and address them. Well, I, I must say the only way I can fit in there is that I do clean the bathroom, so I might fit into that uh, yes, you category watch. there. And so does Steve. <laughs> that was Reply of the Lasses, which was recited by my guest, Mary Ferguson. Since we're reading poetry here, I think we've got Jim back with us, and he has a poem, I believe, that he would like to read. Well, yeah, it's, it's one of his most famous, So, but I think even if you're familiar with it, it bears repeating, and it's a reflection on, uh, on all living things. To, to environmentally, I suppose it's up to date, too, because it's, it's the poem known as To a Mouse. The complete total act, title actually is To a Mouse on Turning Up Her Nest with the Plow, because Bobby was plowing and he actually went through going through the field. He plowed up a mouse's nest and he did it in the, the autumn weather of Scotland. And he knew that the mouse couldn't make another nest for the winter. He wrote in his typical dialect, Oh, we sleek at cower and timorous beastie. Oh, oh, panic is in thy brusky. Thou needest start a wassa hasty with bicker and brattle. I would be lathe to run and chase thee with murder and prattle. I'm sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earth-born companion and fellow mortal. I doubt no whiles thou may thieve. What then, poor beastie, they mu thou mun live. A damnicker is a thrave, it's a small request. I'll get a blessing with the lave and never miss it. Ah, oh, we bid housey too in ruin. Tis silly what the winds are strewing, and nothing now to big a new one of fottage green. Ah, oh, bleak December's winds and suing both snell and keen. <laughs> but thou saw the fields laid bare and waste and weary winter coming fast, and cozy here beneath the blast thou thought to dwell, to crash the cruel colter passed out through thy cell. Oh, that wee bit heap of leaves and stibble has cost thee many a weary nibble. Now thou's turned out for other trouble, but house or hold. The thole, the winter's sleety dribble, and carnage cold. But, Mousy, thou art know thy lane in proven foresight may be vain. The best-laid schemes of mice and men gang after glay, and leave us not but grief and pain for promised joy. Still, thou art blessed compared with me. The present only touches thee. But oh, I backward cast me a on prospects drear, and forward, though I cannot see, I guess, 
and fear. There he is. That's him. I want to thank you very much for participating in our virtual uh, birthday party. It's fun. It's and, fun. Yes. Thank you very, very much for asking me. I appreciate it. And have a great New Year. And yes. Happy New Year to you, too. And take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. That was To a Mouse, a poem by Robert Burns, read by our guest, Jim O'Rourke, to help us celebrate our virtual Burns Supper. Steve Ferguson, Mary Ferguson, and Jim O'Rourke, I'm so happy that you were all able to take time to speak with me. And now I'd like to end our virtual supper with Old Lang Syne from your album. And I want to thank you again, and I hope to hear from you again soon. Well, uh, certainly, Marshall. Uh, stay in touch. Stay safe. Stay warm. And keep your stick on the ice. Thanks for having us. We twa had run about the braze And pulled the gowans fine We have wandered many's a weary foot For old lang syne We twa had paid old the burn Frame morn and sun till dine I but seas between us pray they roar for old Lang Syne all for old Lang Syne my dear for old Lang Syne we will talk a cup o' oh, the kindness yet for old Lang Syne and surely you'll be your pint stout, and surely I'll hear mine. We will tack our record, Willie Wall, for old Lang Syne. And then here's a hand, my trusty fear, and gives a hand o' oh, thine. We will tack our cup o' oh, the kindness yet. For old Lang Syne, I for old Lang Syne, my dear. For old Lang Syne, we will tack a cup o' oh, the kindness yet. For old Lang Syne, now should old acquaintance be forgot. And never brought a mind Should old acquaintance be forgot And days of old Lang Syne I for old Lang Syne, my dear For old Lang Syne We will talk a cup of the kindness yet for old Lang Syne, I for old Lang Syne. You've been listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Mr. Radio. Coming out and supporting Scottish music wherever and whenever you can find it. Shlanawaya, everybody. Safe home. We'll see you again next year. Bye-bye.